RadioInfluence.com. Former Trump administration official Peter Navarro, author of a revealing new book, breaks down why Donald Trump no longer is our president and how we can take back our country in 2024 on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the show. In his eye-opening book, Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back, Navarro calls Donald Trump, quote, the best president in modern American history. So what went wrong? Navarro states very bad personnel choices. Far too many disloyal officials working against the president. And yes, he's going to call them out by name. Five damaging strategic failures. Recollections of what really happened at the Capitol building on January 6, 2021. Election fraud in 2020 and what we can do to stop it in the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential elections. Did Vice President Mike Pence commit an act of treason? My guest contends it's not for what you think. So are you ready for this? Let's get into it. There were only three senior White House officials who remained with President Trump from the start <clears throat> of his 2016 presidential campaign to the end of his first term in office. Peter Navarro was one of them. The director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, Navarro served as policy coordinator for the Defense Production Act during the pandemic and was a principal architect of President Trump's tariff, trade, and, quote, tough on China policies. He holds a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard, a master's in public administration from the Kennedy School of Government, and a B.A. from Tufts University. A much sought-after public speaker who has delivered keynote speeches to audiences around the world, we've seen him frequently on ABC, CBS, and NBC, Fox, Bloomberg, CNN, MSNBC, and CNBC. He's the author of several books, including the breakout bestseller In Trump Time. And we're about to delve deeply into his latest book entitled Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. I welcome to the show, Peter Navarro. How are you, Peter? Brother Gary, how are you, man? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. To take Back Trump's America. That's my mission here. So let's Let's get it on. Let's get it on. And boy, this book is something. I'm just going to start with what a few people had to say. Quote, a loyal patriotic servant to our great president. That's from Mark Levin. Political consultant Dick Morris, who will be on this show, uh, a hero of mine, Peter Navarro, more than anybody else, set the tone for our policy in dealing with China. He was the single most effective and competent member of the entire Trump team. Turning Point USA founder Charlie Kirk, one of the most important people that served in the Trump administration and was loyal to the president to the end. And Steve Bannon describes the book as 
a brass knuckled insider's account of the merciless 2020 fall and the miraculous 2024 rise of the White House of Trump. Very high praise, Peter. Your thoughts on why you wrote the book? Well, the book is a mission, Taking Back Trump's America. When I was writing the book, I didn't think it would be as critical as it is. But Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, um, and the Democrats running this country now are running it into the ground. We have uh, the worst economic crisis brewing um, in the last, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years. It's brutal. We've lost control of our southern border, and we've basically allowed Putin and Xi Jinping and uh, North Korea and Iran now to begin to roam free, whereas during the Trump administration, uh, we had them in check. And this is all both very dangerous as well um, as something that's driving a lot of people literally into poverty. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying there. And people need to, to read this and understand what happened. The book starts out saying this from you, quote, to the best president in modern American history, Donald John Trump. Read this book in the warm and clear light of a Mar-a-Lago day, boss. Take its lessons to heart and you'll be even better the next time. And by the way, don't shoot the messenger. This is both my debt to history and my hope for the future. So do you know if President Trump has read the book and have you heard from him? Uh, we don't. I never talk about my communications with the I boss. Know. Uh, yeah. He calls me when he needs me. And uh there's um, a, there's a certain amount of, of necessity and truth in this book that needs to be out there for history. Uh, but just as importantly, looking forward right now in the very near term, uh, the mission of this Taking Back Trump's America book is to make sure he's back in the White House in 2024. But to first do that, we got to get Pelosi out and Schumer out as leaders uh, of the Congress. So that's my focus in this book. There's lots of stories in it about how to make that happen. I see it as the battle plan uh, for victory. And um, I'm just so pleased to be with you, Gary, to talk about this. Same here, Peter. So let's get into this because as as we've discussed uh, before you came on, got a lot of friends that in high places and a lot of things that I've heard uh, is it, just frightening. So let's get into it. You say, quote, Donald J. Trump's Achilles heel, I would tell you in a nanosecond, was bad personnel choices. Now, for me, this is one of the aspects of his presidency that most MAGA people just can't wrap their brains around. Personally, I'm a Christian follower of Jesus, politically a constitutional conservative. I remember how elated I was, along with my closest friends, because we perceived the Marxist communist onslaught against our country was going to come to a screeching halt. No joke, we spent hours picking the all-star conservative cabinet that Trump would be surrounded with, debating who would be in what role. The names were like Ben Carson, Newt Gingrich, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Huckabee, Sarah Palin, Colonel Allen West. You say in the book, and this is frightening, barely after the votes were counted, President-elect Trump would begin to surround himself with a confederacy of globalists, never-Trump Republicans, wild-eyed Freedom Caucus nutjobs, self-absorbed Wall Street transactionalists who had neither an understanding of nor empathy for the Trump deplorables 
And those Trump Democrat blue collar and black and brown workers who had propelled the president to his stunning and historic 2016 victory. We'll get into the names later. But for now, what the heck happened? Uh, it's very simple. Um, as I relate in the Taking Back Trump's America book, uh, we win the election November 8, 2016. The next day, the what we call the November 9thers cometh. Uh, there was a decision made, Steve Bannon called it the original sin of the administration, to welcome the rhino wing, the re Republican in name only, traditional Republican wing of Mitch McConnell and, and Paul Ryan, who was then Speaker of the House, um, into the tent thinking that somehow we needed to help staff the administration and that they would obey a president uh, and push forward the agenda he had got elected on. But of course, anything but uh, that happened and the disruptions uh, that followed, particularly early in the administration, um, were really uh, were really uh, di difficult. I mean, you mentioned um, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it history would have been much different if Rudy had been put in charge of the Department of Justice. As Amen. Yeah. Jeff Sessions. You know, I love Jeff Sessions. Um, he was in the wrong spot. I mean, he, there's no way he should have been at justice if he had served and I say this in taking back Trump's America, if he had served at the Department of Homeland Security, he would have cleaned up that border and served for four years. Ben Carson, you said you've had him on your show. Well, guess what? Ben, if he had been at Health and Human Services, mm -hmm. pandemic hit, instead of sticking him in the backwater of HUD, it was crazy. And then, of course, the FBI, with their phony Russia hoax, took out Mike Flynn. Uh, we lost Mike to that. So just there were a lot of um, talent uh, that, that didn't find their way into the administration. I remember, uh, it, it, I relate this in the Taking Back Trump's America book, during the transition, I'm in the Trump Tower war room and Reince Priebus rolls in with Katie Walsh from the Republican National Committee. And I, I had spent like a, a, a long time with this guy, Martin Silverstein, who was finding personnel to staff the Trump White House and the cabinet agencies, we had like 100 beautiful MAGA folks' resumes ready to recommend to the boss. Priebus comes in and Walsh comes in, and that stuff went right in the circular file, dead buried. And so those are the kinds of things that happened early on. I'd certainly have never happened in a second term. Um, the boss, above all, um, knows uh, that, that personnel now is policy, like Reagan said, and that bad personnel is not just bad policy, but bad politics, as I say in the Taking Back Trump's America book. Um, but I think as, a, as, a, as an important part of history, I think people need to um, have a, a clear-eyed look at how White Houses work and how sometimes they don't. Okay. Now, what I found interesting, you pointed the finger at rhinos and Republican establishment, see, and looking from the outside, we thought that part of the problem was also bringing Democrats into the administration. Now, the interesting thing, there are some people that had interesting backgrounds. General Flynn had an interesting background. You had an interesting background. So, I was I was looking and I'm saying, why is he bringing Flynn in here in, in this thing? And of course, Flynn turned out very, very well. You turned out very, very well. 
But one of the most the questions I get all the time is Barack Obama, when he became president, he fired everybody everywhere who wasn't a Democrat. He said elections have consequences. You don't like it. Win an election. So why didn't President Trump just clean house the same way? Fire everybody who wasn't in lockstep with the team. Or could he? I asked that question because I've heard from several inside sources that he took over as president. The Washington Beltway powers told him, you may be the president, but we run things here. Well, certainly uh, President Trump isn't going to listen to that crap. Uh, But what what happened was um, the people around him uh, made a made the argument that we needed the help of of the Republican National Committee, kind of the traditional Republicans to staff a bureaucracy, which, quite frankly, is pretty vast. Uh, but it was just bad advice. And you know, there's a learning curve coming in and for anybody into the White House if you've never been there. And that mistake happened. Um, and look, it's not about it's not about Democrats versus Republicans, because what really it's about is populist economic nationalism. And mm-hmm. you remember, you know, a guy like me. Yeah, I'm a pragmatist, but my 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 thing is blue collar manufacturing, which is traditionally Democrat. Those folks that, you know, the Trump Democrats, the Reagan Democrats, they're the people who ultimately won the election for, for Trump and Reagan by being you know, like at the margin, the swing vote. So for me, it wasn't about party or ideology. It's about who was true to the Trump MAGA agenda. So. You know, there's a in the book, Gary. There's there's an interesting discussion taking back Trump's America about kind of what rhinos and Trumpers agree on, right? It's tax cuts, it's deregulation, and it's strategic energy dominance. But where we part company and where we had so many battles in the White House over um, is closing the southern border. The rhinos love an open border because mm-hmm. they love the cheap labor coming up and destroying wages, and they love offshoring our jobs. And we mm-hmm. were for fair trade and tariffs. And so I was the tip of the spear, particularly on the trade issue. And so I'm, I'm fighting all these guys. I remember there's a great story in Taking Back Trump's America about sitting in the Roosevelt Room, the iconic Roosevelt Room in the West Wing. Bosses across the way at the table. The guy was surrounded by most of the cabinet and the top West Wing uh, economic brain trust, such as it were. And the boss is, is called the meeting because he's frustrated at the slow pace of the tariff and trade policy. And, he, you know, what's going on? Wanted to rouse the troops. And so we go around the room and he hears from everybody. We get to the end of it. And it's like the only two people in the room who support his tariff and trade policy. Well, who? Him you and him. Me. Right. And it's like his eyebrows go up and he goes, hmm, Houston, we got a problem here. Now, we were able to accelerate the pace after that meeting. So it was a good meeting. But he realized then that um, there was just you know, you had Tillerson at State, Mattis at the Defense Department, uh, the, the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Purdue, was a constant pain in the ass on trade. Um, and so it went. And, uh, of course, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, the uh, director of the, uh, the uh, National Economic Council in the West Wing, Gary Cohn from Goldman Sachs. I mean, how does that guy get in there? They all worked against the agenda, and and it was an uphill battle for a while. I hear you, Peter. 
What I think you need to do right now is tell people your political background, because a lot of times people think that people that support somebody like President Trump, well, you're a right wing, you know, nut job, you're this, you're that, you're just MAGA, you're not fair, you just see it one way. You like General Flynn and others that have even come around, people have been on the show like David Horowitz and uh, Naomi Wolf that had, had previously been Democrats that see a different America now and are very concerned about the direction they're going. So just kick your credentials so people can understand where you were and where you are now and then tell us why you stayed with President Trump when so many jumped ship. Uh, sure, Gary. Happy to do that. I, I look. Um, I, I I grew up poor in a single family household. Uh, I got to Harvard the hard way um, to graduate school there, and um, I've always been uh, a, a warrior for for working class America. Uh, I have a PhD in economics. Um, one of the seminal uh, things in my life was a book I wrote. In 1984, it was one of the first books I wrote called The Policy Game. And in that, I was trying to understand the difference between conservatism and liberalism, Democrats and Republicans, and kind of thought through the, the various different aspects of that. There's like 10 different things that sort that out. And it really helped me fix about who I was and, and, and how I thought. And for me, it all gets down to, to, to kind of a pragmatic approach uh, to policy and a focus on the, the working class and middle class of America, which is where the strength of this country lays. I could give a, could give a two what's ever about Wall Street uh, and, and all of those folks. So that's where I come from. And, and I, I found my way to the White House. There's a couple of chapters in the book that talks about how I first met Trump and, and then wound up on the campaign. And it, it started with my work on uh, China, as the boss would say, mm -hmm. communist China, and a, a book I wrote, 2006, The Coming China Wars, which the boss read. It, it was, uh, he was, a newspaper article said it was one of his top 10 books. And I started communicating with him based on that. And look, um, uh, he was talking the same language I was. I saw as a macroeconomist, the central problem facing us um, in the United States was was communist China stealing our jobs and unfair trade stealing our jobs. And that's where the common ground is. So that's what I did at the White House and, and a whole lot more once I got there. Um, when the pandemic hit, um, I, <laughs> I became like the quartermaster, like passing out masks and gloves and goggles and stuff like that while I was trying to get that stuff manufactured by the millions. So that's that's kind of my background. Um, and um, I guess I got a strong independent streak in me and, and uh, conservative family values. And that's kind of who I am. I hear you, Peter. I hear you. Now let's talk about who you perceive some other people to be. Let's shine a searing spotlight on several of the motley crew yeah. Who you say were disloyal, who were working against the president, and your list. Some of these people I knew, but there's two names on here I didn't. You have Attorney General Bill Barr. You have yeah. Trevor, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. I wasn't aware of him. You had National Economic Council Directors Gary Cohn and Larry Kudlow. We all yeah. thought 
Kudlow was a good guy. We all yeah. knew about security advisors, H.R. McMaster and John, what you call Dr. Strainlove Bolton. A lot of people knew, but don't quite understand. You call them Rasputin, Jared Rasputin Kushner, the president's son-in-law, four-star trader generals, John Kelly and Jim Mattis. If you watch them on TV, that's pretty apparent. And then you said four of the worst chiefs of staff in White House history. That was a big chunk of the staff that was working with President Trump. And you say what? Well, let's take uh, let's take Kudlow uh, and Cohn. Uh, the National Economic Council inside the White House, that's the, the locus of power to craft economic policies along with the Treasury Secretary. Right. And so right off the bat, we get two guys from Wall Street in New York um, in Gary Cohn from Goldman Sachs and Steve Mnuchin at, as the Treasury Secretary uh, running economic policy when Trump ran on tough trade and tariff policies. So right off the bat, I, I got into immediate conflict with these guys. Both of them technically outranked me. Um, and so. They, they were like fierce battles. I, I didn't care what their rank was. When, when we were in the Oval, I spoke my mind. But why should why should have those guys have been there fighting the president when he wanted to do what he wanted to do? So th that was that was weird. Uh, Kudlow, look, everybody loves Larry Kudlow when he talks. He's, he's a nice guy. But if you look at what he said about Trump about me during the 2016 election and before he came into the West Wing, he like he was like dumped all over us. We were like crazy dudes who were trying to put tariffs on China. What could go wrong there? Well, <laughs> nothing, Larry. Yeah. Um, and so he gets in there. And again, I'm having to fight him. And they, they have power. They can slow stuff down. I mean, the biggest thing that these people could do um, is nothing positive, but just a slow things down. And they did. And so there it is. I mean, and Kudlow, look, when Jan 6 rolled around, Kudlow was one of the first to abandon the president. Mick Mulvaney, uh, chief of staff, what, what, almost got the president impeached. The boss, out of kindness of his heart, gave him an ambassadorship to Northern Ireland as he shoved him out the door. Pick basically bites the hand that feeds him uh, by resigning on January 6th without knowing the facts. And now he's on CBS getting paid by the soundbite uh, to dump on Trump. It's just just wrong. Peter, who hired all these guys with exception of Kushner? And then give me your impression of how much influence Jared Kushner and Donald's daughter had in decisions, if any. Well, Kushner, Jared, um, Jared was responsible for a lot of the bad appointments. I mean, he he was the guy doing the vetting uh, and and making the recommendations um, when Reince came in. The funny thing about Reince Priebus, uh, and and I talk about this in the Taking Back Trump's America book. You know, it's like he comes in, he tries to shove me out, they demote me, they do mm -hmm. everything they can to send me back to California. Uh, but but six months go by and and Gary Cohn's trying to steal his job. Jared's doing his job. Uh, he's getting leaked on and knives stuck in his back. And and he and I and Steve Bannon forge a bond. He, like Reince comes to Steve and I like for help. Right. It's like, OK, 
And, and Ryan goes, yeah, I get it now. I, we, I know what the president wants. And I'm, I'm, the, the, the worst part about it was, you know, Ryan did a lot of damage early, but the, 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 the few days before he got fired, um, he was ready to do what Trump wanted and what we needed to do. And I think if, if Reince had been able to hang on, um, everything would have been pretty damn good. Uh, but instead, Reince is out the door and, <laughs> and comes JFK, John F. Kelly. Mm-hmm. And boy, was that guy a mistake of the lake. I mean, he he, um, he I, I, again, I, I lay this out in detail in the Taking Back Trump's America book, but. The problem with Kelly is that he just he had no training in economics, so um, he wasn't going to support our trade policies. They they seemed kind of kind of wrong to him. It just didn't kind of jibe, and so he fell under the spell of Mnuchin and Cohn. And the next thing I know, I'm I'm fighting him. There's another guy that that needs some scrutiny. That Rob Porter, the staff secretary. Yeah, you probably know about him from mm-hmm. the alcohol abuse scandals, but. Um, this, his story alone in the Taking Back Trump's America book is worth the read because um, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones uh, fan, but little no. thing, that's Rob Porter. And boy, did he do a lot of damage using the power of the staff secretary's office. Wow. You know, I just have to ask this question. I thought everybody's supposed to serve under the pl- under the pr- pleasure of the president. And he's yes. the president of the United States. Why is everybody giving him so much lip? What's this? Well. Why, in particular, were the three generals constantly breaking the cardinal rule of military discipline, not obeying the chain of command? The commander in chief, Donald Trump, is telling Mattis at the Pentagon, Kelly as chief of staff for Homeland Security, and McMaster as national security advisor to do this. You know, like, we need, we need to renegotiate the South Korea trade deal. Let's get on with it. And these guys, like, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then they do everything they can to stop that from happening. You know, how does that happen? How does Why did they happen? get fired? Yeah, well, they did get fired. They all got fired eventually, except Mnuchin. Um, and, and some of them sooner than later. I mean, Tillerson was out the door mm-hmm. pretty damn quick. Uh, you know, Mattis. Uh, <laughs> Mattis, what a clown! It's like it's like he sends a he sends a, a letter of resignation saying, "Sir, I simply cannot go on in this administration, and uh, I will be leaving this post in like three weeks or something." <laughs> the boss gets that. It's like the guy's out the door by noon. You know, like, <laughs> dude, you, you what what planet are you on? You you're gonna stick around the Pentagon and and do three weeks more of damage? Forget that, dude. But, you know, he, but the, look, it was a steep learning curve. This will not happen in the second Trump administration. But history uh, demands that, that this record be out there and that we, we have an honest conversation about it. Um, because I, I think the Taking Back Trump's America book will be a, a useful guidebook for anybody uh, who, who will get to the Oval Office and, and seek to govern. And um, look, Reagan learned the lesson that personnel is policy from the failures of Nixon to abide by that rule. I and mean, Nixon put a bunch of liberals in the White House uh, to the consternation of Pat Buchanan and, um, and didn't become uh, the definitive president he could have been. I hear you. Your recollections of what really happened on January 6, 2021 at the Capitol building and the lunacy that has occurred following it. 
Well, uh, that that, in fact, is documented well in uh, in my first book in Trump time. I think um, I think for me, what's what's interesting now um, is is the lack of, of a proper investigation of Jan 6. What we have is a partisan kangaroo committee, which seems dedicated to the proposition that Donald Trump shouldn't be allowed to run for office in 2024. So let's build a phony uh, Jan 6 hoax around him. Okay, but, but the questions that I ask in taking back Trump's America, the three main ones are, why did Pelosi leave the perimeter so lightly guarded when she knew damn well there was trouble ahead. Why did the feckless Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, leave the National Guard so far away from uh, what would become the battlefield that he couldn't respond in a timely way? By the way, what was, what, why were FBI informants, I guess on leave from Gretchen Whitmer, uh, up, up inside the perimeter possibly instigating violence? I mean, these are these are questions which point to the only conspiracy that I think there might have been around Jan 6, which is the one by the Democrats to stop the legal counting of the votes. And yeah, if, if, they, if that was uh, their goal, they sure as well succeeded. Right. And that brings us to something that <laughs> there's one name in America that I can't mention, and it's not uh, Barack Obama, former Former Vice President Mike Pence is now hated by many conservatives for the role yes. he played and not allowing states to bring forth allegations of election fraud during that congressional joint session to count electoral the electoral votes. Your thought, because everybody I know just wants this man strung up by his you know what. Well, here's here's the act of treason that uh, I I accuse Mike Pence of committing. It's one thing to have an honest difference of opinion with your commander in chief and principal based on sound legal principles um, and express those to your commander in chief. It's quite another thing what Trump, uh, what Pence did. What Pence did was he allowed two rhino Republicans serving him as general counsel and chief of staff and Greg Jacob and Mark Short to concoct a, a highly flawed memo justifying Pence sticking the knife in Trump. And what what Pence had an obligation to, and this is why what he did was treason, he needed to share that memo and legal opinion there you go. with Donald Trump and the White House legal counsel Pat Sip alone before Jan 6 and before Pence went ahead and released it and announced what he was going to do. That was treasonous. He never should have done that. Shame on Mike Pence for doing that. I had a great relationship with Mike Pence right up to after November 3rd. Uh, but his chief of staff, Mark Short, when Short came in to the White House uh, and took over from Nick Ayers, who was a great guy, he began to systematically wall Mike Pence off from any kind of communications and made Mike Pence sexually, sexually part of the, the rhino wing of the West Wing, and, and bad things happen. I hear you, I hear you, Peter. Peter, I'm gonna have to bring you back because people will string me up if we don't get to what is going on with you and the weaponization of Congress and everything. Yeah. And, and so I definitely want to bring you back for part two 
But before you, and thanks for coming on, but before you tell people how to reach you, here's the final question. Steve Bannon is quoted as saying elections have consequences. Stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. How rampant was the election fraud? How was this allowed to happen? And please tell me it's not going to determine the 2020 mid 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election. Well, look, um, there's there's still a lot of of fraud mechanisms in place right now. The worst thing uh, the Democrats did to our system was dramatically expand the absentee ballot voting at the same time that they contracted signature match, the checking of the ballots. That's that's basically the the biggest flaw we have right now. Um, We're stuck with that, but that doesn't mean to sit home. What you need to do is fight back by going to the ballot box on game day in November and driving up turnout in in red, uh, driving up the Republican turnout. And if you do that, uh, we can win and take back the House of Representatives, take back Trump's America. Come January of 2023, we begin to to unwind a lot of the damage the Democrats have done to our election system. With respect to what happened on November 3rd, 2020, everything I know, Gary, based on an extensive analysis that I did and subsequent information that has come to the fore, suggests strongly to me that that election was indeed stolen. I think three governor's races uh, and two secretaries of state races are critical uh, to unearthing the nature of that steal. Carrie Lake in Arizona, mm-hmm. in Michigan, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania for governor, and then Mark Fincham. Get out your checkbook. Send some money to yeah. Mark Fincham. I met Mark at the Rock the Red in South Carolina. I met Mark. He's a, he's yeah. a good man. Uh, he will get to the bottom of, of the steal in Arizona. Uh, and Christine Corrala, she's a dynamo in Michigan for Secretary of State. So for folks, I know Gary, you had an activist audience. Folks, get involved in, in races that matter this November. Take back Trump's America. You want to buy the book? It's a blueprint for action. It's also my legal defense fund. And um, and I'd appreciate it. Uh, but 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 let me, as, as, the, as the movie line once said, let me help you. And I can help you by giving you essentially the battle cry, battle plan to take back Trump's America. I hear you, Peter. Peter, tell people how to reach you. You know, you have a website and if they want to get the book, how to get the book and anything else you'd like to promote. Well, let's start with Getter, the Twitter killer. I hope you're on that, Gary. But but we really got to communicate on a social media platform that will not cancel us. Uh, So go to my website. PeterNavar.com. It's just my name, PeterNavar.com. Uh, from there, you can buy the Taking Back Trump's America book on Amazon. You can access my social media and you can read all about uh, the legal uh, battles I'm embroiled in, including the civil suit I filed uh, against the Jan 6 committee and the Justice Department. Um, after which three days later, they put me in leg iron. So it must have been a good civil suit. Mm -hmm. Peter, I hear you. And I'm going to bring you back. We got it. We have to continue this. And one of the things we didn't get to talk about now, just to whet people's appetite in the book, you talked about five strategic failures 
that led to Donald Trump no longer being our president? You listed five. Just give them one. Oh, definitely uh, the campaign, the failed campaign. We ran a beautiful Steve Bannon, 100 people on an airplane campaign in 2016. Got outspent, but we out hustled. And um, it was just the opposite in, in 2020. Um, we spent too much money too early. And, um, you know, Brad Parscale and Jared Kushner have to bear the burden uh, for that failure. I hear you very. I hear you. Peter, thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll do this again after the midterms and keep up the good fight and don't let them grind you down. God bless you and your family. Uh, my brother, God bless you, sir. There you have it, everybody. Peter Navarro, we will bring him back because we really just got to the tip of the iceberg. We didn't talk about one of his biggest things is he China. That's his baby. We didn't get to China. And, and he's just got so much more to say about what went wrong, but also what will go right to correct this. Once again, Mr. Peter Navarro. I want to thank Peter Navarro for providing the type of firsthand insight we crave in regard to what went right, wrong and sideways in the Trump White House, but didn't have access to. We truly hope Peter is correct that Trump has learned from the experience and now knows what to do and how to accomplish it if given the opportunity for Trump presidency too. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Well, that's a wrap for now, friends. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.